This podcast is a member of WGPRN, WildGamesProductions.com. Hello, folks, and welcome to Darker Days, episode number 17. We're getting closer to 20 as we move on. I am your host, Vince, along with my faithful co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fantastic, Vince. How are you? Welcome, everybody, to the show. I'd like to take a moment and just say happy birthday, Mark, because today is your birthday. Oh, shucks. Thank you so much, Vince. And as you heard that squawk in the background, we have Mr. Eddie Webb, the Mr. White Wolf himself, the man that holds your fate in his hands, thus he's Eddie Fate. How you doing, Eddie? Stop. <laughs> That's your intro. Hey, Eddie, welcome aboard. <laughs> There's no way I could compete with that intro, man. That was just so awesome. I was like, uh, yeah, what's up, dude? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a lot of fun things for you tonight, and, uh, well, you know, I don't know what to say. Mark, want to reach into that mailbag? <laughs> I'm reaching right in as we speak, <laughs> yes. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a quarter of cool mails coming since the last show um, first up Alan Smithy wrote in thanking us for the Changeling show that we did episode 16 but also he's asking for greater coverage of Changeling the Lost uh, we've had a couple of similar comments about that on the forums so I consider that duly noted Robert Carroll wrote in with a fantastic suggestion for a review section not on books but on mechanics comparing and contrasting things like different initiative systems, combat systems, approaches to morality etc. Very cool idea, we'll have to give that a look uh, Mike Buono wrote in again with some ideas and links to a great set of resources about New York City for games set there and uh, he posted those links up at the forums afterwards under the username of Sunny, if I recall correctly so you might want to head on over and check those out Good like, stuff indeed. Like Sonny and Cher? Or? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cher was busy. And Spaz Jedi wrote in just before we went on air, I just added this into the show notes just now, with a cool story about a Latvian hacker who's been leaking bank details to the TV stations over there. Now, what makes it interesting is that the hacker, who calls himself Neo... <laughs> oh, original! Yeah, good, eh? Uh, he claims to be part of the Fourth Awakening People's Army. So, yeah, the virtual adepts are alive and well and living in Latvia. Um, and as always, shout outs to the newest members at the forums, uh, including Zombie Ants Ain't My Brain, <laughs> Alan Smithy, Zended, Kudos, Bulka, Samwai7, Ephraim, Shadow Lost, Hero, Disorder, and some guy claiming to be Eddie Webb. I don't know who that, yeah, I hate that guy. That bomb. Yeah, I would look into that. It's clearly someone impersonating it, you. It's a funny thing, Mark. Uh, after I said that one show that you know someone should sign up as Zombie Ants Ain't My Brain, that someone actually signed up as that. <laughs> He hasn't posted yet, but you know he gets a uh, gets uh, bonus points for having a cool name. Definitely true. And uh, let's head into our news. WGPRN News in depth. Mark, did you see that uh, Mirage Arcana number four was out this week? Yes, Cyberpunk 2020 uh, in review. Outstanding. Uh, worth listening to. Cyberpunk 2020 is a great game. I love it. Mm. And they're also uh, gearing up over there at Mirage Arcana for their month of D&D in March, so be sure to stay tuned for that. I'm looking forward to hearing what they got to say about D&D, definitely. Yeah, well, they're doing a whole kind of retro thing, Gary, Khan, all the rest of it. I really can't wait to hear what they they do with that. It'll be very cool. Uh, But the big news this week um, is the arrival of another podcast at the WGPRN Network. Right, Vince? Definitely. Miss Amber has been working her little buns off. Cute buns. (laughs) And uh, she got us another show called The Hidden Grid. It's a uh, Shadowrun game podcast, so 
look forward to that. You should see their new episode coming out soon on the network. You can head over to the forums at uh, wildgamesproductions.com. Why did I blank on that? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's you my every like thousand times. Every yeah, and it's like my forms, but I forget each time. Like the email address, Mark. What's our email address? Darkadaysradio at gmail dot com. Ooh, that was kind of authoritative, Mark. That was. It was. I mean, I'm, I'm laying it down, man. I'm laying that was kind of that was kind of Gordon Ramsay style. <laughs> Without the f word. Really enough swearing. No, I, 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 I can just put a beep in there to make it sound like it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so you just check them out. Uh, the host Zended, he's pretty cool. Zended so. is hosting it. Yes, yes. Um, you can find a link on our front page on the left hand side, or if you just head on head on over to hiddengrid.com, you'll find the podcast right there. Speaking of our uh, website, you notice that we have a nice new fresh portal look up. So don't get confused. Just click on the community link, and there are our forums. I know a couple people ask me what happened, so that's what's happened to it. <laughs> Yep, all still there, just uh, hidden away slightly behind the portal front page. Yes, hidden away. And uh, let's go over to the White Wolf news now, uh, starting with Mr. Eddie Webb. What's your news? No, I'm kidding. Mark, <laughs> what's the White Wolf news? <laughs> so you guys have to do your work first, and then I can do my work. Okay, cool. Well, there's one release, two releases that are, uh, we've we've noticed on the uh, on the the White Wolf website. One in particular, Night Horrors: The Unbidden is out in PDF for Mage: The Awakening. Finally, um, a fantastic collection of weirdness and kooky antagonists and spooky stuff for Mage: The Awakening. Definitely worth getting. And we'll be doing a review of that on the show very very soon. Outstanding stuff. Uh, also, the Manual of Exalted Power, The Alchemicals, is now for uh, Exalted. It's a new character source book with everything players and storytellers need to generate alchemical Exalted, uh, including their charms, details of the great maker's servants, including the gods, elementals, and automata of Autochthonia, and rules for Autochthonian Magitech and Alchemical Protocols. Um, so, yeah, some good releases uh, coming up this year. And, Eddie, you have another little bonus for us, I believe, to, uh, uh, yes, to throw out to our listeners. About... Uh Five hours ago, I uh, what time is recording? Um, I posted. Uh, why am I blanking on the name now? Um, Debris of the Fallen Races. It was material that was cut from the Fallen Races book. We were literally like eight pages too long, and so there was material that was cut about underground dwellers and uh, some cool. of the uh, uh, chaos charms. And then on top of that, uh, uh, Holden Shear had written some martial arts for the Dragon Kings, which Bridget didn't use. We decided to pull all that material together. And put out a small PDF. It's four ninety nine on Drive Through RPG. Great stuff. Yeah, so uh, check it out, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy every bit of whatever Eddie sends out to us. If not too bad. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then other news, uh, Eddie. Uh, how's your podcast going? Um, it's it's going well actually. Uh, I just realized a week or so ago that I've been doing it for a year, and I was like, "Holy crap! I have to do something awesome!" And I have no idea what that awesome thing is going to be. Um, but yeah. uh, it's been going through some challenges. Uh, I, I've had to change recording setups a couple of times, but I've actually got my netbook up and going, so that way I can record theoretically anywhere. So uh, this should be coming out uh, a little more frequently. And I just did a episode uh, about a week ago um, about submission guidelines. Oh, and, yeah, I heard your rant. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I ranted about submission guidelines, and the next day I had to explain the previous rant about submission guidelines. Because <laughs> some people were like, oh my god, did I do it wrong? Are you going to kill me? No, no, no. So, <laughs> I've already had some controversy on my podcast. Well, yeah. I, I liked some of the early ones when you first moved. It was like, this is Eddie Webb, and I'm in a hidden location. I'm trying to podcast, and nobody hears me. <laughs> it was like, I was like, Eddie, come on. <laughs> Go somewhere else. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, unfortunately, first, firstly, I was like, I didn't really want to be too loud with my coworkers there. And finally, I was like, listen, guys, I need to record. And I was like, yeah, whatever, it's fine. So that was a big deal. <laughs> uh, but then it was, there, there was no room. I mean, uh, everywhere was packed to the gills. But we've recently uh, expanded to uh, a new building. And so I was like, tons of empty rooms. I'm like, yes. So I'm, I should have a, a post-it in one door that says recording studio. And people are like, there's nothing in here. Why is there post-it recording studio? <laughs> it's where I go just just go with it. It's awesome. Let, let it go. The Aaron Studio. Very cool. That's the new home yes. of the Darker Days podcast. No, I'm kidding. And, <laughs> until someone else claims it, of course, then. Yeah, Darker Days. Anyway. <laughs> we're coming <laughs> over and taking over. We're taking Shameless. Over <laughs> a shameless plug to take over White Wolf, which is already being controlled. Hey, come to Atlanta. I'm sitting by my office. I'm going to talk. <laughs> yeah, right. If we can get out of the snow here in PA, so... As we got a foot and a half coming this way, so a foot and a half. Jeez, we we had about two inches yesterday, and England kind of shuts down if you get that much. So, yeah. Atlanta's exactly the same way. It's just like, oh my god, there's snow. Everyone's gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's head into everybody's favorite favorite segment: the secret frequency. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the secret frequency tonight looks out of the Voynich manuscript. Um, we flagged this for inclusion on the show a little while ago, and Beckett raised it again on the forums recently, so we thought tonight would be a good night to open its pages. The Voynich manuscript is a mysterious, undeciphered, illustrated book. Dates to the 15th century, the most recent analysis dates it to somewhere in the mid-1400s, and both parchment and writing date to about the same time. So if it's a hoax, it's a very, very old hoax. It's uh, 240 pages long. Initially, it had 272. And it f- first references to, to it appear in the library of Prague alchemist Georg Badesch in the mid-1600s, so about 200 years after it was written. It makes its way through the hands of hieroglyph experts, the Jesuit order, armies, antique book collectors, and is now in the hands of Yale University. And its contents have fascinated readers for centuries. It's written in an indecipherable alphabet, a flowing cursive text that has defeated linguistic experts and cryptographers alike. The language seems authentic, bears many similarities to European and Latin languages and structure, with a few idiosyncrasies of its own. Its illustrations imply, and there are many of them in the book, that it's divided into six sections, namely herbal, astronomical, biological, cosmological, pharmaceutical, and uh, recipes, <laughs> uh, which always strikes me as a real uh, interesting non sequitur. Uh, but the illustrations, like the text, are Get sources of interest and controversy. The herbal section contains diagrams of plants, none of which are unambiguously identifiable. The astronomical section contains circular diagrams, some of them with suns, moons, and stars, including the conventional symbols for the zodiacal constellations. The biological section is a dense, continuous text interspersed with figures, mostly showing small naked women bathing in pools or tubs connected by an elaborate network of pipes, some of them clearly shaped like body organs. Mm-mm. The cosmological section holds more diagrams, but of an obscure nature. One of its images spans six pages and contains a map or diagram with nine islands connected by causeways, castles, and or maybe a volcano. The pharmaceutical section holds many labeled drawings of isolated plant parts, roots, leaves, etc. Objects resembling apothecary jars drawn along the margins, while the so-called recipes section has many short paragraphs, 
each marked with a flower or star-like bullet point. So what is it? Well, some think it was intended to be a pharmacopoeia or treatment of medieval medicine and herbalism. Others see it as an alchemical tract. Others claim it's a description of astrological and astronomical phenomena. The language it's written in has been proposed as being a cipher or code, an exotic natural language, a constructed alphabet, or even an example of textual glossolalia or spirit channeling. The manuscript's authorship is equally mysterious. While it is named for Voynich, the book dealer who obtained it in 1912, it is often attributed to friar and polymath Roger Bacon. Some also believe it to have one time belonged to John Dee, court magician to Queen Elizabeth I, or even to have been written by him, or his alchemist and seer companion Edward Kelly. Hmm. And of course there are those who hold it to be a hoax. In the world of darkness, however, there are no hoaxes. All of this stuff is real. What? Yeah. <laughs> now, how to use this in a game? Well, Mage, The Awakening, or The Ascension are obvious game lines to use this with, as is any game that features alchemy, astronomy, magic, and similar esoterica. The language could be a debased version of Atlantean high speech, could depict plants and species of Atlantean origin, show the cosmology as it was in that era. The uh, recipes could be rotes, listed by bullet point. But what about other game lines? Well, for Vampire, it could be a holy text or depiction of plants and belief systems that hail from times and places forgotten by mortals and by most of the undead. It could be a Tsimiche flesh crafter's diary, detailing his experiments in creations, new and wondrous species of vicissitudinal plants. For Werewolf, maybe these plants and cosmologies represent species and heavens of the spirit world, or describe the lost histories and cultures of the shapeshifter peoples. It could contain descriptions of creating new Prometheans. The golem of Prague may have had his genesis here. Or be the journal of a necronaut who has returned from the underworld and is depicting what he saw. Maybe it's an aspect of the Prince of a Hundred Thousand Leaves. And when it's translated, another part of the Red Word will manifest in our timeline. If so, the player characters could be involved in an attempt to prevent it from being translated. Any number of similar abyssal threats could hinge on its translation or existence. And this might help explain why such a powerful artifact is being kept by Yale University, of all places. Uh, it's far safer out in plain sight, where nobody could steal it without other supernatural entities taking note and action. And what if it's only one of a set? Maybe there are other manuscripts out there in the same language detailing far more sinister things. A bestiary? An atlas? Just what does the strange archipelago in the manuscript represent, and what other lands are waiting to be mapped? A history, but of what realm? An encyclopedia of the forgotten or unimagined? A supplement to a medieval role-playing game, the 15th century revised edition of Alchemist the Bubbling. Um, yeah, I'll leave it there. <laughs> uh, Google it. <laughs> no, Google this one. Uh, there are images aplenty of it on the net. Uh, even a p PDF of the manuscript itself, uh, Voynich, V-O-Y-N-I-C-H, well worth taking the time to explore. Who knows, maybe you can translate it. And be sure to credit Darker Days if you do. Uh, unless it's abyssal, in which case uh, we don't want to know. <laughs> Eddie is writing down, ooh, Alchemist the Bubbling, new White Wolf supplement. <laughs> That's the game line for 2010. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I, I love creepy, weird manuscripts. They just, they're just they just so awesome. I was, I was reading about this, and I was like, this strikes me, the first thing I thought about you was... Uh, Hunter uh, the Vigil because yeah. um, some of the conspiracy in the Vigil go back about 300 years and these people have lived for 300 years so I thought maybe this is some kind of um, uh, a secret to immortality that has been uncovered mm. and they're trying to keep it repressed so they can keep it, it's encoded so no one can find it. 
Yeah, you can send the hunters out trying to find certain uh, parts of the recipe, so to speak, Mark. Or you can have them guarding an ancient tome. Exactly. But uh, but last time I was on this show, um, you guys uh, read the, the frequency. You're like, so, Eddie, what do you think? And I was just like, uh, uh, I don't know. That's cool. So this time I came prepared. Uh, you Ooh. mentioned zombie ants earlier. And I yeah. found this uh, article in Scientific American. Uh, it says, problem. You're a fungus that can only flourish at a certain temperature, humidity, location, and distance from the ground. But you can't do the legwork to find that perfect spot yourself. So the solution? Hijack an ant's body to do the work for you and then inhabit it. The Ophiciparus unilateris, I know I fucked that up, uh, <laughs> fungus affects uh, Captonius leonardi ants that live in tropical rainforest trees. Once infected, the spore-possessed ant will climb down from its normal habitat and bite down with a death grip on the leaf and then die. But the story doesn't end there. All of the C. Leonardi ants studied by Thailand's Kaochung uh, Wildlife Sanctuary have chomped down an underside of a leaf and 98% landed on a vein. Most had A, found their way to the north side of the plant, B, chomped down on a leaf about 25 centimeters above the ground, C, selected a leaf in the environment with 94 to 95% humidity and ended up in a location with temperatures between 20 and 30 degrees Celsius. So in wow. other words, the fungus was transported via a zombie ant to its prime location. Hmm. If you cannot write a World of Darkness story based around this, you should not be playing this game. <laughs> we love zombie ants. Got a lot of love for them. That's a fantastic story. Awesome. Well, I, I read this one as well, and what I what I loved about it was the the way that the uh, the, the fungus emerges from the ant's exoskeleton. That it always emerges from a specific point at the back of the head, and then yeah, mutates to be twice the twice the length of the ant's body and remolds its body into a protective case. Just the idea of of, of possessing zombie fungus bursting out the backs of people's heads and remolding their body, and it's just an awesome image. I love it. Oh, absolutely, and, and I mean, you know, just the idea of uh, of plants being able to take control uh, of insects and and, and it's, it, it reminds me of like a, like also weird Zemisi, uh, you know, spy network. It's just you know these plant possessed ants scurrying all over and looking for very oh, specific cool. locations. Just so weird. I love it. And then it says when the, when the fungus releases its spores, it creates what the authors of the report describe as an infectious killing field about a square meter below the ant body. So that when you kill these things, they explode into spores, infecting everything around them. I'm just yeah. like, what the hell? Don't hit it. <laughs> And that's, and that's one thing I love about uh, uh, working on stuff like the World of Darkness is because, you know, um, a, a good example of this is when working on the vigil, um, uh, Russell Bailey was working on the uh, weaponry for uh, Task Force Valkyrie. And there's, mm. like, laser guns and, uh, you know, the, the ability to shoot ghosts and whatnot. And everyone's like, this is too weird and sci-fi and it's not a realistic game. And yet he pointed me to multiple episodes of uh, Future Weapons on Discovery Channel and various stuff online. This stuff's all in research and some of this, all stuff exists. It's like the world is far, far weirder than we can make up. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy, crazy stuff out there. Well, there you have it. Weird little zombie ants by Eddie who's been creating them in his basement ever since they've been born. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> it, it's my goal to take over Chuck Windig. Oh, God. <laughs> Chuck, Multiple Chuck, types Chuck. Zombie ants, what more can you ask for? Chuck already has someone controlling him. He doesn't need another person controlling him. <laughs> you obviously have a different definition of control than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Chuck, he will be uh, coming back on the show again this year, so look forward to that, folks. Cool. Let's move on. I would say we should get oh. together and talk both of us on the same show again, but last time we did that, it just seemed to devolve so quickly with me, him, and Stu. 
That was great, yeah. Uh, don't worry. Well, if, if it produced the wonder that is cock spiders, it can't be all bad. Didn't, we, yes. didn't someone in the forum say that we wanted, uh, someone was saying, oh, that was my first introduction to Darker Days was the cock spider episode. I was like, great. Right, right when the start at. <laughs> my condolences to whoever that person was. <laughs> I also like the person speaking about uh, uh, things like that. It was the first podcast, but... Uh, what was that? My tangent, my segue into something else will be <laughs> Gen Con. I'm going this year. Mark, you going? Um, it's a little bit far for me. <laughs> it would be nice, though, but no, probably not. Eddie, you're, you're going because White Wolf is forcing you to go, I assume. As, as far as I know, the thing is that sometimes I get told many months again, sometimes it's like, hey, back your shit, you're going. All right, let's go. <laughs> so <laughs> as far as I know, I'm going at this point. Well, we uh, have to get some live recordings from Gen Con. And yeah, just, the live report, absolutely. I'll have to do that. And uh, right. I, my whole point was that one of the users in the forum said he was going to, uh, when he's going to drive, I think it was Samwise7 said he was going to drive to there and he was going to force everybody in the car to listen to Darker Days for the 10 hours to drive. <laughs> I said, way to torture everybody. That's good. It's only a couple of shows, you know. You can play the, the Malcolm Shepard show and that gets rid of most of that time. <laughs> Yes, our longest podcast. He has overwhelmed the uh, podcast genre. Uh, he has beaten you, Eddie. He's three hours and something minutes. Wow, that's great. It was all about Mage. It was wonderful. Uh, it was fantastic. Because <laughs> Mark geeked out the whole time. You totally did. <laughs> and I sat there going... Like, I have to do like a 12-hour episode, okay? I'm going to go to this We're doing like 25 hours. <laughs> this is the Darker Days Marathon. Marathon number eight. <laughs> I'd be like Jerry Lewis with my tie off. Hey, everybody. <laughs> We need beer if we're going to do that, definitely. Yeah. Anyway, let's, uh, let's move on to our Classic World of Darkness. Classic World of Darkness. Okay, everybody. As you heard, Chris Masters has entered the building with the Classic World of Darkness. Uh, <laughs> so this week we have a little tidbit from the Wolfman with Benicio Del... No, I'm sorry. We have something about <laughs> Werewolf this week. They stole that from Twilight. Yeah, yeah. Do you, Eddie, I meant to say, does, has the werewolf movie shown any increase in the werewolf, uh, I'm sorry, the wolfman movie shown in, any increase in the werewolf sales at all, you think, or interest, um, I should say? Uh, honestly, uh, as far as the, the physical books, um, it's too short of a time period because we should get quarterly sales reports, so I can't say anything on that front. Um, PDFs, I think I've seen a very, very slight increase, um, but it's hard to say because uh, we've been uh. seeing a, a pretty strong increase across the board, so I don't know if it's necessarily direct, directly related to the Wolfman. I expect once it gets out, it's been out for a couple of weeks, then I could probably more accurately tell if it's impacting our PDF sales or not. Yeah, I, cool. I, I assume that the movie's going to generate some interest, and at least hopefully people will buy the book. Yeah, I know, like, uh, for example, after Sherlock Holmes came out, um, uh, I, I, I think I remember looking at the numbers, even though it was Christmas, I think I saw a slight increase in, like, Victorian Age Vampire PDFs, so sometimes so, if something is popular media, we do see a slight increase depending on what it hits, and some, but on the other hand, sometimes, uh, um, like, uh, uh, Percy Jackson, the Percy Jackson movie, uh, it's out, or, yeah, it just came out, um, and we're not seeing necessarily a huge increase in Scion, so, I mean, it, it, sometimes it doesn't always overlap. Well, uh, this week we got the Werewolf Apocalypse. We're going to be talking about that and some antagonists in that. Mark? 
Yeah, that's right. Um, we've not covered right. Werewolf the Apocalypse on the show uh, so far. We had uh, Werewolf the Forsaken got some love back in an early Darkling episode. So we figured we'd break out the Apocalypse and uh, share some of the fun around. Um, now, for those who aren't familiar with the game, uh, the basic idea of Werewolf is that you play a werewolf, um, a rage-filled shapeshifter who uh, is fighting on behalf of a dying and doomed planet uh, embodied through the life force and spirits of Gaia. And arrayed against you are various forces of corruption and decadence, the uh, more powerful ones of which are embodied as the worm and its servants. I'm sorry, every time I hear Gaia, I think of Captain Planet. I don't know why. (laughs) They had Captain Planet and Werewolf too, I think. Did they? Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a version of him. Yeah. Now to keep the to keep the, <laughs> to keep the game fresh, Werewolf demands a fairly fairly steady menu of antagonists of various types. So what we're going to do right now is take a fresh look at a couple of NPCs from published Werewolf supplements, and also present a couple of new ones with some plot hooks for each one. And with minimal adaptation, these can all work in other game lines as well, including Werewolf the Forsaken. Hmm. So first up are Black Spiral Dancers. Now, these are the iconic enemies of the guru, of the werewolves. Um, They are quite literally fallen werewolves, those who have been corrupted by the worm and fallen to its dark service. They're often relegated to the status of slavering monsters, and many of them are, but you can draw much more out of the dancers. Something, Uh, something dark side. Dark side. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. That's cool, man. Uh, So let's take a look at Calling Swans. She's our... uh, uh, signature NPC uh, of the Black Spiral Dancers. And Calling Swans is a former member of a Guru pack. Uh, she fell to the worm, and as part of her initiation into the Black Spiral, she betrayed and murdered her entire pack. Now, she retains enough ties to her mortal life to make her a powerful and cunning agent for Malpheus in the world. So how do you use her in-game? Well, take a character like this, a brutal, murderous Black Spiral Dancer, and give her a human identity and a human life. And, if you need to, appropriate investments or gifts that can disguise her corrupt nature. User is an ongoing antagonist for the player characters. If she's careful, she might be able to conceal her true allegiance from the player characters long enough to do real damage. For example, she can spy on them for more powerful forces, allowing servants of the worm to send enemies against them when least expected. She can seduce and tempt player characters into corruption themselves. She can lead them astray and into danger, and all of this without revealing who she really is. It works even better when you add a personal stake into the bargain. There are many references throughout Werewolf the Apocalypse to Guru reincarnating. So what if the player characters are reincarnations of members of Calling Swan's former pack? This allows you to use her as a grizzled veteran who slew her own pack 20 to 30 years ago and is now hunting down their reincarnations. Perhaps she's still dancing the spiral, and this is her challenge for dancing the sixth circle. Player characters will initially have no idea who this dancer is and why there seems to be some strange connection between them. They might be accused of having consorted with the worm by their own sept and in clearing their names learn the truth about who she is. Perhaps the Guru have reincarnated together for a reason. Now, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about the idea of having a group of antagonists who could be reborn from life to life, similar to mummies, with their memories and powers intact. So what if a pack of Guru had been bonded together? to be continually reincarnated in order to combat these recurring reborn foes down through the ages. In the werewolf game, these reincarnating antagonists could easily be servants of the worm and calling swans given the task of protecting them from a pack of guru who've been following their successive rebirths from life to life. 
So now the player characters are the latest incarnations of this pack with the task of combating the reborn. Do they want to shoulder such an onerous task, however? Maybe the player characters had other plans for their lives. What if their spirits were bonded to this task against their will? If so, why and by who? Now, calling swans as an enemy that the player characters may not want to fight for reasons that they may be unwilling to accept with a destiny they would rather not have. How would you feel if you knew that you would be reincarnated again and again just to fight an enemy who you can't really ever kill? I'd be pissed. I'd be pissed too, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, now... Next, we're going to take a look at an antagonist from one of the published Werewolf the Apocalypse supplements, namely Harold Zettler. He first appeared in the Book of the Worm. Uh, Zettler is a fifth-generation Malkavian anti-tribune Nazi vampire. Oh. Yeah, yeah, a Methuselah <laughs> member of the Sabbath. Uh, he's also a member of the Pentex Board of Directors, and as such, he is an absurdly overpowered antagonist for pretty much every Werewolf game, and incredibly cheesy to boot, which is why we love him. Okay, so look, you're not going to want to use Zettler as a direct antagonist in your game, unless you want to have your chronicle end in a really messy way. But as a figure behind the scenes, he's ideal. If you use Pentex in your Werewolf game, then he makes a good linchpin to revolve your Pentex-based plots around, give a face to a largely faceless corporation. And if you don't use Pentex, someone like Zettler is a classic foe for the guru who can mastermind plots and problems on his own without needing to involve world-spanning conspiracies of the type that often accompany the appearance of Pentex in the game. Uh, the, the rivalry between guru and vampires dates way back to the first editions of the World of Darkness game lines, not to mention early black-and-white movies, and it's an archetype well worth exploiting. <laughs> Lon Chaney for the win. Did you say Dick Chaney for the win? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Bad, bad. Bad <laughs> Shoot him in the head. <laughs> Go ahead. Zombie change. Yeah. What makes Settler a good choice for this kind of enemy, however, is not just the obvious. Yeah, he's 300 years old, powerful, experienced, and well-connected. But most importantly, he is a Malkavian. Now, we'll be touching on Malkavians more fully in the upcoming show, but briefly, the Malkavian clan is the clan of madness. Vampires whose condition has peeled back the facade that veils the true face of reality. They've seen what reality truly is with immortal eyes and have been driven insane as a result. More than any other clan, this ties in perfectly with lycanthropy and the werewolf condition. Werewolves skirt the boundaries of madness and rage themselves. In fact, being driven mad by the moon even has its own name, lunacy. With Zettler as an antagonist, you can take your werewolf chronicle to the dark side of the moon. Aww. With Zettler being fifth generation, an incredibly powerful vampire, you can tailor his vampiric powers and disciplines to the needs of your game. You can basically have free reign to invent any effect or power or discipline that your game needs and attribute it to his high-level dementation. Tie this to a series of Byzantine and obscure schemes and you have the makings of a memorable antagonist. So, perhaps Zettler is of the belief that the Weaver needs to be overthrown in order for the Worm to be freed from its madness, a madness with which he could personally identify. He might co-opt the Guru, deceiving them into carrying out missions on his behalf aimed at unseating the Weaver in the Triad. An utterly hopeless and pointless task, doomed to failure, but such is the price of megalomania. Perhaps he can use high-level dementation to trick the player characters into assassinating his rivals in Pentex. This is a task that most Guru would jump at the chance to carry out, not bothering to realize that they're working for one of the undead. Hmm. Let's tie him into another one of Weirwolf's published supplements, the excellent Falkenberg Foundation. Now, this book details a sort of lunatic asylum for Guru, who have experienced a traumatic first change with a whole host of sinister plots attached. But what if the entire Valkenberg Foundation is actually owned and controlled in secret by Zettler? 
he may be interested in, in examining and experimenting with traumatized guru, seeing in them a physical manifestation of the madness that grips his own mind. You might want to start your chronicle with the player characters as patients at the Foundation, have them go through their first changes, escape, and later return to uncover the forces behind the place. You could really mess with their heads and have your entire chronicle be nothing more than a hallucination experienced by the player characters while incarcerated in padded cells in the Foundation. Only at the end of the chronicle does their hallucination start to break down. They might wake to find themselves being drip-fed to Malkavian Vitae in order to keep themselves in a psychogenic fugue. Oh, you can even tie Zettler into the Calling Swans plotline we detailed a moment ago. Maybe he wants to take control of the pack of Guru in order to use them against the reborn antagonists whom Calling Swans protects. So now the player characters are struggling for their own independence, as much as for anything else, with the chains of predestined reincarnation on the one hand and a manipulative Malkavian Methuselah on the other. Hmm. Is it the Falkenberg Foundation what Michael Knight worked for? A Knight Rider? Yeah. <laughs> Totally the same. Yeah. Oh, it is. I, I, well, actually, your idea reminds me um, uh, a lot of the TV show The Prisoner, uh, the original version, mm. the version. Uh, but the idea of uh, a Malkavian Methuselah running uh, uh, Garou through these uh, different experiments to test, you know, how sane they are, how strong they are, and trying to get the senses, and also trying to turn them against each other and stripping their identity down, turn them into his own uh, foot soldiers, perhaps. Uh, there's lots of great psychological espionage that could really occur and stuff like that. Yeah, he, he's really, you know, he doesn't even need to ever appear. He's more of a, of a MacGuffin, a plot motivator, a, a kind of a method by which you can I introduce these these crazy powers and motivations into the game. Yeah, it will work really mm -hmm, well. Um, now, stepping away from antagonists for a moment, uh, we'll look at, for a moment at a, a possible ally, a spirit ally, and also through this, a general way of looking at and portraying spirits in your game. So let's take the example of Quentin Glass, who is the spirit of inspired cooking. <laughs> he's, the, he's the distillation of the inspiration of chefs from across the world. Uh, having a character like this makes for interesting color in a game, background details, an amusing ally, or an unusual contact for your player characters. So maybe he has been a long-serving member of the player character's sept, providing culinary expertise to generations of guru. Maybe he's the only one who knows a certain gift or herbal infusion that the player characters need. Maybe they read about it in the Voynich manuscript. Maybe the player characters need his help in placating the palate of a more powerful umbrood who demands a meal to satisfy the gods, and only Quentin Glass knows how to distill that particular ambrosia. Now, what's useful about this kind of NPC, however, is that it allows you to showcase how spirits work in the game. You know, as, as a manifestation of a certain essence, spirits can come across as either one-dimensional, you know, I'm a tree, woo, or, uh, or just kind of like, you know, regular people with funny colored hair, kind of like aliens on Star Trek. Um, instead, however, you can give them fully developed personalities and motivations, while at the same time keeping them key to their principal motivations as a spirit. So in the case of Quentin Glass, for example, he lives for cooking, for discovering new recipes, locating unusual or otherworldly ingredients, seeking the best inspiration for his creative urges, finding discerning palates to taste and test his latest creations, eliminating rivals, safeguarding his secret recipes, recovering recipes from ancient times that are now lost, and if they ask really nicely, teaching appropriate gifts to player characters. Now, each one of those motivations is an adventure hook in and of itself, and can show how a simple concept like inspired cooking can be developed into an original or unusual spirit. And you can use this as a template for further developing spirits in the Rewolf game. 
So supposing you want to use the classic example of a spirit template of a glade child or oak tree, how can you use this approach to develop the spirit further? Well, the main thing to remember is that most trees live a cyclic life. So in spring, the spirit might be enthusiastic, full of optimism, seeing itself as newly made. Summer brings experience, wisdom, richness, a full-blooded attitude. By autumn, the same spirit might become melancholy and sad, feeling the onset of old age and prone to fits of introspection. Come winter, the spirit is morbid, obsessed with its own impending death and rather pessimistic. And if the player characters are sure that spring will bring renewal, the spirit might not even believe them or treat such claims with almost mystical reverence. What might a tree's religious beliefs be? This approach allows you to portray concepts of this kind when interacting with the PCs. And if the tree spirit in question is a recurring one, maybe it's the spirit of an ancient oak that stands at the Pax Cairn, for example, you can revisit these concepts from year to year. And this also allows you to inject a dose of humor into the game as the spirit fails to recall from year to year that it's been through this experience many times before. And imagine how an oak spirit might react to its acorns. An entire adventure might be crafted around finding a new home for an acorn at the insistence of its overprotective parent. Uh, so three down, one to go, and uh, no werewolf game would be complete without Samuel Haight. Oh. Yeah, the Skinner. Skinner! Uh, <laughs> yes, as if dealing with... Well, of course you were dealing this one. Yeah, well, Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand wasn't good enough. I'm not stopping until I've done the Skinner too. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like okay. a personal problem, Mark. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying a cream. It's helping. Okay. Um, Samuel Haight has a well-deserved reputation as the twinkiest of twinktastic non-player characters from the old world of darkness. By the time Sammy met his end in Chaos Factor, he was a hedge magic-using guru with ghoul-derived vampiric disciplines who could cast sphere magic, was largely immune to paradox, and had set his sights on hunting down an antediluvian. Also, he was later turned into an ashtray. <laughs> Include Samuel Haight in my game. Madness, you say, and you'd be right. Uh, but in the Skinner reside several rather cool ideas that can be separated out from the cheese and examined on their own. Now, part of the Skinner's twink factor comes from the fact that he represents one insane plot piled on top of the other. But if we break them down, we can see that you can use many of these plots independently. Rather than apply them all to one NPC, you can apply them to several and kind of spread them out a bit. Now, the Skinner's central concept is arguably the best thing about him. Sammy was a kinfolk to the children of Gaia tribe, but he never became a full werewolf and was abused by his disappointed father as a consequence. Okay. Through investigations into the arcane, he discovered a ritual that would allow him to become a guru by skinning five werewolves and making their skins his own. Now, the advantage of this as an antagonist concept is great. It highlights the second-class citizen status of the kinfolk, adds some familial trauma into the mix, and creates the awesome concept of a skilled hunter who's tracking down and killing guru because he wants to become one himself. That's several adventures worth of material right there. Now, you could keep the Skinner confined to that and get a great deal of mileage out of him. If you have him hunt and kill fellow pack or set mates of the player characters, you have an antagonist that they'll never forget. The Skinner learned hedge magic along the way, and in addition to hunting Guru, also hunted vampires, infusing himself with their blood in order to become a ghoul and develop vampiric disciplines. Twinky enough, if combined with a skin-stealing storyline, but if used in isolation from that, it's actually rather cool. So, what if you had a setmate or ally of the player characters who hunted and killed a vampire, and was then tempted to drink its blood? To gain power initially, and edge over other enemies, but later as an addiction, or as a full-blooded ghoul. This allows you to take a trusted ally and slowly turn them into an enemy, 
a guru, kinfolk, or other ally keeping their addiction to vampire vitae a secret. And also makes for a cool redemption storyline as the player characters have to try and break their friend of his habit before the set leaders order his death at the player character's hands. And we won't talk about what happens if the guru in question ends up being embraced, though. That's just uh, asking for trouble. No. No. Um, In later supplements, the Skinner gained mage spheres. Demented, yes, but not entirely without merit. Part of this involved him stealing precious artifacts from a mage cabal and killing them all. Uh, This is ripe territory for plunder. As before, you can have an NPC or ally do the same, raid a mage node for tasks or artifacts, and other player characters have to help their ally fend off a cabal of angry mages. Even better, though, you can require the player characters to do the raiding. Maybe the mages have something that they need, and the guru are going to get it back, whatever the cost. And let's tie this back into the reborn plotline we've mentioned a couple of times. What if it was a cabal of mages who bound the guru souls together, forcing them to reincarnate from life to life? in order to combat their reborn antagonists. Maybe some artifact is the cause or nexus of this bond. So to free themselves from this recurring fate, the Gru would have to retrieve and destroy it. Finally, there is the Chaos Factor adventure itself. In this mage-vampire-werewolf crossover, the Skinner travels to Mexico to hunt an antediluvian. Of course, it's not an antediluvian. It turns out actually to be a Methuselah of the Bali bloodline, and the effort results in Sammy's death. On a resource level, the sourcebook is packed with all sorts of crazy coolness a black spiral dancer hive of almost absurd proportions, uh, a powerful technocracy faction, a Day of the Dead carnival in Mexico City, a fully statted fourth-generation vampire. But it's the general concept that is strong, the hubris of trying to track down and kill one of the World of Darkness's most powerful entities. And this is the kind of sin of pride that Guru are likely to make of their own accord. The Guru nation is more or less founded on errors of this kind, so you can use this as a setup for adventures for your own player characters. They or their setmates might learn of a powerful worm entity and decide to take it down. But too late, they discover they're not just facing a Nexus crawler, they're facing an Elder Thunderworm. Or rather than having found Calling Swan's hideout, they have instead stumbled across a large hive full of her allies. The theme here is letting the player characters bite off more than they can chew. And you can follow the example of the Chaos Factor and ensure that the setting is a memorable one. For all its flaws, the adventure doesn't lack compelling scenes, exciting settings and set pieces, and a powerfully cinematic approach to its narrative. So uh, hold the cheese and savor the meat of what remains. The uh, Skinner would be proud of you. Well done. Bravo. I'm impressed. <laughs> of course, I was saying something for ten seconds and my microphone was muted, so... <laughs> you were chatting away there, were you? Yeah, I was chatting away with myself, obviously, and... <laughs> Well, you thought it was awesome. It's awesome. Awesome. All right, folks. Uh, we have a big, small commercial break with a promo and uh, a, a small contest run by uh, Mr. Zorlak. Uh, for details, listening to these commercial breaks, the contest will be a prize of Eddie Webb, who will come to your house, drink your f- drinks, eat your food, and uh, he'll shower on your shower, and then he'll go home. So. <laughs> you mean the guy who signed up at the forums, not me. Exactly. Not you. <laughs> So we'll be back right after this, folks. Darker Days Radio, only on WGPR and WildGamesProductions.com. Welcome to Hidden Grid, a podcast for the Shadowrun universe. This is your sysop, Zen Dead. Find us at www.hiddengrid.com. 
If you can hack the ice. Hello, this is Nathan Ortega, host of the Exalted Podcast. And I would like to run our first contest for the Wild Games Production Radio Network. This is to win the free Quick Start Rules for Geist the Sin Eaters. It's very simple. You must sign up and become a member of our forum. And then write five paragraphs or less on how you would defeat a chainsaw-wielding vampire with autism. (laughs) Five paragraphs or less. You must join the forum and put down your answer of five paragraphs or less of how you would defeat a chainsaw-wielding vampire with autism. (laughs) Um, Please try to keep the foul foul language to a minimum, and please enjoy. Uh, I'm going to have to leave this at a U.S. residence only because it would cost way too much money to ship overseas to ensure that it got to you. Uh, I am sorry to overseas people, but please be bear with me. I will try to improve that in future contests. And now, back to Dark Days Radio with your two hosts, Vince and Mark. Only on WGPRN, WildGamesProductions.com. Okay, well, folks, we're back, as you heard, and... Uh, and <laughs> I'm sorry... <laughs> I just want to know, just, do you have to defeat the vampire using autism, or does it have to be a vampire who has autism? <laughs> or, or beating a vampire with a guy from autism. <laughs> uh, I just I listened to that this, the second time here, after listening to the other couple. I didn't realize he actually said it like that, so... Yes. <laughs> All right, well... What about I, Asperger's? What if it's a vampire with Asperger's? Is that different? Possibly. I don't know. What kind of burger? Asperger's. Uh, a sphincter says what, Mark? Pardon? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, we'll move on to our questions and answers with Mr. Eddie Webb. And we have a lot of questions. Yes, a lot of. Our first question is, the show's over, goodbye. Sweet! I'm done. (laughs) No, Eddie, you have to stay here on the air waiting for answers and questions to everything, so... Sorry, buddy. No, I have 22 more hours to go, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we have a, a bunch of questions. Sorry, folks, if we don't get to all of them. Obviously, Eddie can't answer them for particular reasons, and he has already stated that on the forums in that post that he had left, so uh, he apologized ahead of time. He wasn't really dodging them. He just can't do it, or he just didn't right. feel like answering those certain questions because he doesn't have an answer. So, right. first question is, Eddie... Mr. Malleus writes in, and he wants to know, what does the HF stand for in CCT Publishing? I asked that one first because I want to know what that stands for. <laughs> um, uh, and the answer is something in Icelandic. Uh, it's the Icelandic form of incorporated. It's, uh, I don't know. I really don't know how to pronounce it, how it's spelled. There's strange characters that I've never seen before. But it functionally means incorporated, but in Iceland. I see. Hm. Interesting. Now, uh, he also wants to know, do you have any pets, and what are their names? Uh, yes, actually, I do. Um, I have a pug dog named Puck, after the Shakespearean character, not the really crappy Canadian Marvel character. <laughs> and I also have a, a great cat named Grebo, named after the Terry Pratchett character. Cool. Uh, he uh, also wanted to know how things were going in your new office and the move was, and how the expanding of White Wolf is doing. Does it mean that there could be any new things along the horizons that you can talk about, maybe? Um, well, the office first, I kind of mentioned earlier, in fact, that uh, we, we've broken up to a new building, which um, is amazing. I mean, we've hired 
39 people this year alone. Um, we're looking to hire several dozen more at least in our various offices. So, I mean, you know, we, we have a company in all three of our, all four of our offices now. Uh, we're expanding immensely. So, mm. we reached a point in Atlanta where it's like, you know, we need, we need some more room. We need, like, more, please, we need more conference rooms. Um, and so, it's been really awesome kind of uh, uh, expanded to a new space. I was one of the people who was able to lead the charge into a new space. And so, that was a lot of fun. Um, as far as game lines expanding, uh, yes and no. Um, now, I'm not trying to be coy here. It's just that uh, one thing that we've been trying to talk about for the past year is that uh, the merger with CCP has given us a, a chance for some really exciting opportunities and a way of chance of doing things differently than we've done in the past. And uh, well, some people you know really enjoy the way we do business in the past, but we're still going to try to do things that people like. Um, there's a lot of the ways that we've uh, approached business that haven't been healthy for, for us as a company and honestly uh, have led us to put out products that we weren't always entirely happy with. Uh, Samuel Hate might be a good example of that, a random <laughs> example. Uh, so, um, what it comes down to is uh, with the expansion and whatnot, a, a lot of cool things are happening for us as a company, um, but unfortunately, that has meant that uh, the past several months have been extremely challenging, and uh, we've not been able to uh, talk as much as we have been able to, we've not been able to kind of communicate as much because we've just got so much going on. There's so many exciting things, and uh, what I can talk about, other questions I'll be happy to talk about, but I'm really jazzed about it. I, I, I think we have some cool partnerships coming down the line. Um, I think what kinds of products we could do as a company and what that brings to uh, the game table or to the computer, they're both really, really exciting, um, but it's a lot of it's still up in the air, a lot of it's still being discussed internally, so we're very much in wait and see. Wow. Fair enough. Just send, make sure you send all contracts to darkdayradio at gmail.com. Ah. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's dip into the Beckett bucket and see what we got going there and there. Mark, you want to grab those? Yeah, uh, well, Beckett uh, uh, references something that he he wasn't sure whether it was you or someone else, and I think it was actually uh, Ryan Dancy who mentioned this at uh, the, the Camarilla convention. Um, he wondered what it was meant by the... Uh, the White Wolf saying they're not going to be ignoring the good stuff from the old world of darkness in future books. Now, I'm not sure if that's actually an exact quote, because I don't recall it coming out of uh, the conference quite like that. Do you know exactly what that's referring to? Or, I mean, he doesn't, he's not looking for specific spoilers, or is that something that's not on your radar? Um, actually, interesting. Uh, this came up on uh, uh, sorry, uh, RPG.net, RPG.net, and um, Attributed to me. Um, I didn't say it. Uh, I was also attributed to Ryan. Ryan didn't say it either. Um, right. Somebody else in marketing said that. Uh, and um, so people ask me, what does that mean? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. We just never heard of it. Um, uh, so I, I can't talk to that particular point. Um, but one thing that uh, kind of related to that, if I'm going to hijack the question and something that's just mm. more substantive, um, is. Uh, for business reasons, we've had to shy away from the, uh, our old, older properties, old world darkness and whatnot. Uh, and uh, we're not in a place where we have to do that anymore. Um, and that's, I think, probably what they meant in the fact that uh, there's some stuff about Masquerade that's awesome. And uh, we're, we're hoping to kind of celebrate that more as going forward. Um, there was cool stuff in the old world darkness. Um, there was stuff that was not. Uh, but you know, I mean, th th there's there's a lot of cool things that we did back then that that we would like to 
bringing back people's attention. And, and this has already been going on for some time. It's one of the reasons why, like, for example, a, a lot of our books are on PDF, because you know, some people still really enjoy them. They, they really find them engaging, and we want people to have access to those. Um, we're looking to find ways to increase availability in the future. Um, you know, we, we, we're, there are some bits from various games that we want to maybe re-examine, but that, that's not like we're totally going to do this, and this is not me going coyly saying we're not doing this, but we're secretly are doing this. This is really just an affirmation of the fact that this is now an option uh, in our quiver, as it were, um, one thing that we can use going forward as a tactic or strategy. Um, and as I say this, I can feel the forums exploding with people saying, well, this means this is going to happen. They're going to bring Rick back. I can back. see them blah, from blah, blah, here. Blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this does not mean any of that. It simply means uh, the fact that um, we don't have to divorce ourselves from our previous like, social property as much as we did before. And I'm thinking that's probably what the statements is referring to. Um, right. that, that, but that's, uh, again, it's the kind of, uh, we publicly said, hey, we can now do this. Um, and that was like, we have that ability. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. Um, no. But it does mean that, uh, and let's face it, I mean, uh, a lot of the guys at the office, uh, myself, Russell, uh, Joe, the vampire developer, uh, we're all um, fans of uh, the older properties as well as the new stuff. Um, that's one of the reasons why I love coming to you guys' podcast because uh, you, you, you just mix and mash both interchangeably. And mm. uh, it's something that you know, we're, we're fans of too. We, we really enjoyed that, whether it was the, uh, the guys who worked on it before or uh, people like me who uh, came up from the ranks as an RPG writer and developer playing these games and, and loving these games. So we, we don't have to kind of divorce ourselves as much from it. But in terms of what did we as a company mean by that and what did that person who said that uh, mean by that, I really couldn't tell you. Yeah, <laughs> and there's nothing specific that you're aware of in the pipeline that you can talk about um, that you'd want to refer to in that, in that regard either, I guess. Uh, no, because, uh, again, news to me. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Well, I mean, I, up to now, it's clearly been, in, it's something which has been of interest to, to freelancers and, and the actual writers themselves. You know, I'm, I'm primarily an Old World of Darkness player, Mage, but picking up the Mage the Awakening books, um, some of them, Astro, uh, Astral Realms, was like the best Mage the Ascension supplement that was never written, you know. These things mm -hmm. are... are peppered with easter eggs and references and material that you can fall back into the older properties with ease so i think something of that uh of that zeitgeist is probably is probably floating around anyway already so uh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's and interestingly here. enough is um uh, since we've um since oh, sorry since we since marketing made the announcement at icc in october um i i, I, I read the forums but i also read facebook i also read rpg net and uh, i have noticed that uh discussion of older games have popped back up i know the cambria for example is uh starting a new masquerade live action chronicle um, cool. And that, that's gotten a lot of excitement. But also, uh, like you mentioned, Mage. Uh, uh, Mage, the Ascension, it's been really popping up on the forums again. Just not our forums, but all over. Um, uh, old Mage writers have been popping back up and talking about their work on it. Uh, Jesse Heinex, I think, made a few comments to the effect of his work on it. Um, it's, 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 it's back out there. And, you know, to some people, it's nostalgia. But to some people, looking back, going, you know, this, this game's actually aged pretty well. So... Yeah, and we don't want you know, well, to detract people from that anymore. Uh, Malcolm Shepard's doing his Mage the Dirty version as well over on his blog, too. Which yeah. is kind of like an interesting reimagining of Mage from the ground up. That's kind of interesting, too. Mm -hmm. um, second question from Beckett, just moving on then. Uh, he wants to know if there's going to be any more... Actually, um, uh, Ephraim asked this, too. If there's going to be any more support for games like Geist or Hunter or Changeling. Uh, yes. 
But um, okay, um, <laughs> as a qualified cool. yes because uh, I, uh, Hunter, for example, I can say that's in the BS. Uh, Chuck Windig um, wrote for me uh, a, a book of combat conspiracies, um, and basically what happened was Chuck's like, you know, I wish I had like sixty more pages to write about the combat conspiracies and Hunter the Vigil. And I was like, Chuck, I can give you 60 more pages to write about compacts and conspiracies. So um, that's basically what he did. Is he took all the compacts and conspiracies from the main book and wrote like uh, a bunch, of, uh, a few more pages on each one. Like, uh, here's some more cool bits for them. Here's uh, ways you can break down the various different subdivisions. Um, here's what would happen if you want to take a compact and promote it to a conspiracy. What would that look like? So uh, that's coming on the pipe. I just finished uh, sending it off to edits. So I mean, that's definitely going to happen at some point in the nearest future. Um, Potentially in Geist, I don't have anything in particular uh, on the immediate horizon, um, but that's not to say that I will turn away projects uh, that are proposed to me, nor are they off my radar in terms of uh, going forward pro uh, products we might do. Um, uh, I know that uh, Changeling in particular has definitely been a fan favorite. It continues to amaze us how uh, popular people find that game. Um, and uh, Geist... It's kind of a, a weird balance because we intentionally wanted it to be a fairly inclusive game. We didn't want to do a whole lot of support for it, not because we don't like the concept. We think it's a fantastic game. Um, and I say this as one of the guys whose name's on development credit on it. Uh, but also, it's the idea of we really wanted to see what people do with it on their own and kind of go from there. Um, so that's why, we, that's why the support's been very small. Um, we want to try a new... Again, like I said, we, we were constantly uh, trying new things. Uh, five years ago, we wouldn't have been able to put out a new game and say, here's two books and that's it, because financially that would have been a problem for us. Now yeah. it's like, you know, we try to go something a little more old school in the fact of you buy your, court, you buy your books, you bring it to the game, and that's pretty much everything everyone needs. You know, the, the, the one box set idea of only it's a book, but I mean, that idea is, is still, it's not something we wanted to play with. Um, but if someone uh, internally or externally comes with a really fantastic idea for guys that works for us, we're not going to say no to it. No, cool, that's so, good to we were interested in that, but I can't. It's not like, oh yes, totally. Book twelve is coming. No, it's we don't have anything in in minds, and we don't, I don't predict anything in mind. But it's not like completely we're done. We're never going to do it again because every time we say we're done with the line, it never ends. So I'm not going to say that anymore. Cool. Well, that's good to hear. I actually like that kind of stripped down approach. You know, the the one book, one box system. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's been a little bit of talk recently about how come there's not wads and wads of supplements coming out and the whole supplement treadmill, but. Uh, I know as a buyer, at least, I'm, ha I'm perfectly happy to be off a supplement treadmill, thank you very much. You know, my wallet's much more, uh, <laughs> much more satisfied. And, and you, know, you say old school, if you look back at D&D uh, First Edition, to pull the granddaddy out of the hat, D&D First Edition was, was a dozen hardbacks throughout its entire run, of, of however many years it was. You know, there's those game lines that are still halfway through their print runs that have far exceeded that by now. And uh, yeah, I think it's possible to go overboard. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Sarah Punk 2020, one of the other podcasts you guys did a review, and uh, um, I, I thought back to Sarah Punk 2013, the original Sarah Punk game, and it was just the box that I think maybe a couple of supplements maybe came out for that before they revamped it for 2020 edition. And, you know, the 2013 box for the time played just fine. I mean, I didn't really need much of anything else. I purchased everything I had in that box. Um, yeah. And then, of course, 2020 came out, and I realized, well, I did need all of this stuff, and I still own a lot of that stuff. Um, but, you know, it was... It, it, we, um, it's the same thing like with uh, um, Dreams of the First Age. We decided to want to do a box set, um, and part of it was John Chambers like, I want to do a box set because I've never done a box set in my life. Um, but some of it is there something cool about opening that box set and finding a map and finding counters and finding a couple different books. There's something a little bit magical about that. And now yeah, that we neat. have 
the, the, the luxury uh, with uh, partnering with CCP, or sorry, with merging with CCP, um, we have a, a lot more resources at our disposal. We could try these kinds of things again and go, wouldn't it be really cool if we could do the stuff we've always wanted to do but never had the option to before? Awesome. Cool. Okay, next uh, question. A couple of questions come from Bolka. Um, uh, apologies if I mispronounced that, but I really I was, have no idea. I was wondering um, how that was pronounced, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Bolka was wondering, what character in the Vampire the Requiem novels is your favorite? Characters like Maxwell, Solomon, Juice, Bruce, and the like. And similarly, if you take just the vampire core and supplements into account, what NPCs or characters in there are your favorite? Um, yeah, I always hate these kind of questions, not because I don't want to answer them, but because I have to admit I've not read the novels yet, unfortunately. <laughs> um, it, 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 because when we Bad crank boy. out hundreds of books, it's like I, I can't read them all. Um, and I've been meaning to, especially those books, because uh, um, I, I love uh, Greg's writing, and I, I, I can always look for opportunities to read more of it. Um, but of that suite of NPCs, um, I, I've always kind of liked Solomon Birch. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's because it's um, he's kind of a two-fisted priest that I, I kind of get. It's like he, he's dark, uh, he's noir, he's kind of manipulative, he's kind of a jackass, but also a little bit of pulp to him that I've always kind of grooved on. It's like you know, some, you know it's, it, I can really uh, uh, imagine reading stories of him uh, uh, beating up um, you know state, demonic worshiping vampires to recover some. Fragments of the Testament of Longinus and bringing it back to, you know, I, I, I can see him doing that, I, and that, I've always been kind of appealed by that. Um, Neat. But in terms of NPCs for the whole canon, um, for a long time, uh, I would have said Solomon there as well, but after having worked on the Testament of Longinus with uh, Wood and Genevieve Pabluski, um, I would have to say uh, a Longinus because the character those two writers uh, worked with me to portray in the Testament of Longinus is so engaging and fascinating to me. I love the fact that he's this embodiment of the seven deadly sins and where, how he gets there and then uh, when he becomes a vampire, how, he kind of, how his mind wraps around this new condition of his and what he's brought himself to. And it's just like, you know, he's a mythical character and so he's, not, I guess, technically an NPC in that sense, but that character in the, the uh, uh, Requiem mythos is more engaging to me. Um, but for second, definitely, I think second one will probably be uh, Count fucking Dracula from the Gamer Clan. But. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Count cool. Dracula. <laughs> um, and also, um, uh, Bulker was wondering um, which uh, class or splat or supernatural or whatever you want to call it with an out of vampire major werewolf uh, would be your favorite. Um, uh, do I have to stay with New World? Can I go Old World on those? You can go anywhere you like. Ooh, baby. Um, uh, for, uh, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to do Old School for all three just because we're in that vibe right now. Um, for Vampire, uh, I, I definitely have City for the Bruja. Um, uh, cool. Growing up, uh, I grew up uh, around a lot of uh, hip-hop, um, a lot of punk. Uh, I, I very much have a DIY ethic. Uh, my my Podcast. I mean, talk about it on my own podcast about the fact that you have the kind of the, the zine ethos of doing it mm. yourself and getting the word out there. I've always appealed to us. The brew I've always appealed to me in that level. Yeah. Um, uh, for werewolves, um, I've always kind of liked the Bonars, uh, mostly because I think nobody else likes the Bonars. <laughs> 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 it's just like, wow, they're like the bums. Who wants to play those? But to me, that that's fascinating is because it's the the idea of from such humble beginnings that you can 
had this kind of epic story, and, and Werewolf the Apocalypse Story struck me as a very epic game. Yeah. And this idea of, you know, there's this uh, rundown hero that ultimately saves things. I like that kind of story arc, and so I'm kind of drawn to the Bonars in that regard. They're cool. And, and uh, <laughs> Mage, um, actually for Mage, I think I'll go Awakening, because uh, I really like the Silver Ladder. And I think part of the reason I like the Silver Ladder in Awakening is because, in many respects, they're the leader's flat. Um, but uh, there's that, that tinge of regret in everything they do that really is engaging to me. The idea of we made a mistake and we're so passionate about avoiding that mistake and helping other people avoid that mistake that we will do horrible, horrible things to prevent doing a completely different horrible thing that we did in the past. Yeah, I like that. I find that engaging. So yeah, those are my, my current splats. Ask me next week, I'll have completely different answers. Yeah, cool. Vince, <laughs> you want to pick up Lost Heretics? Certainly. He says, <laughs> he says, yo, what's up with the photoshopped artwork in Vampire the Eternal Struggle expansion, Heirs to the Blood, yo? Uh, <laughs> did no you yo. say yo? No, I, I he said it twice. I, I actually oh, okay. Then, yeah. Yo, yo. Um, <laughs> I, I've not seen Heirs of the Blood, so I actually can't say. Um, uh, I, I will say that uh, a new person's work out for many of our supplements past releases uh, it's been uh, Mike Cheney doing the art direction on that and this time it was uh, uh, Jess um, who did the art direction this time so uh, it may have just been a change in styles um, I, I, I can't say for a particular point um, it may have just been she was trying something different or the artist she hired probably more accurately the artist she hired were trying something different and sometimes it appeals to some people doesn't appeal to others but I haven't just seen it so I can't say alright no okay. problem he also wants to know if there's going to be any more standalone settings like Monty Cook's World of Darkness, who we interviewed on an earlier podcast in the Darklings. But will there be any other standalone settings that you know? Uh, of? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do know that uh, we, we've talked about it a lot, um, but uh, launching a new system under our original model was always risky, and the, honestly, the fact that Scion's done as well as it have continues to amaze us, because it was a huge risky venture, and in the, the current climate for the industry, uh, a lot of times, it does, uh, a system like that doesn't do very well. Um, and so we're like, you know, well, we're going to try to see what happens. Like, holy crap, it works. Um, so I think it's a little bit of superstition of, we don't want to do it again, because it might not work this time. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I can say there's nothing on the, uh, on the schedule for the immediate or even uh, uh, future, foreseeable future that I know of. Um, but that isn't to say we're never thinking about something like that because uh, what happens is, and, and actually this is an actual conversation I had with Russell Bailey at the office was we're like we're both playing Mass Effect too. It's like you know this is a pretty cool game. It's like. Uh, what game can which role play system we use to play this at the table? And then two weeks later, Russell's like, "So uh, I wrote a new role playing game." <laughs> <laughs> um, and then like uh, a few months ago, actually, I did the same thing. I was like, "Yeah, wow, I really like Marvel superheroes. I want a superhero game just like that." Mm -hmm. um, so I'm gonna go ahead and then like I write some house rules for stuff I like. And next thing I knew, I'd written a fudge variant of right, house rules. And things got bigger and bigger and bigger. So I think left to our own devices, role playing games will naturally result. Mm. Whether there will be properties that the company will publish, I don't know. <laughs> but um, you can't stop us from making games. That's just—it's <laughs> really the truth of the matter. Excellent, excellent, cool. Well, I was hoping, you know, maybe we can get a superhero game going in there. That'd be fun. Uh, yeah, just uh, play Scion. 
Mm. Yeah, true. Or you can play V and V if you remember that game. Oh, those vigilantes, yeah. Vigilantes, excellent. Yeah. Ooh, old school events, good yeah, one. Yeah, I used to love playing that game all on the weekends. Um, uh, age 10 years, saying that. <laughs> Itty Webb, now 10 years older. Get him in the can. Uh, Phobos69 has a bunch of questions. Uh, Mark, you want to grab those? Yeah, um, he wants... Uh, he wants... Excuse me. He wonders if you think that White Wolf will ever implement an organized play for its tabletop games in a similar fashion to the Camarilla and live action. Um, I have to take a moment here and bitch about the current state of affairs with the whole role-playing game find a player thing on the White Wolf site. It sucks, Eddie. I'm sorry. I I agree. I mean, uh, it, we are fully aware of the inadequacy of our website. Um, it's something that's been not lost to us at all in the company. Um, what it comes down to is our web, our web team at the company is just, they're extremely talented, but they have three times as much work as they could possibly handle, and we're trying to hire as fast as we can. Uh, but what it comes down to is it, there's lots of priority shifts and changes that we have to make as a company, and we as uh, the, the publishing, you know, publishing sector uh, shares resources with the rest of CCP, so... Um, we have to make sure that we budget their time accordingly. So we just haven't had the time and energy to uh, work on a new website for for White Wolf yet. I do know that uh, Ryan mentioned uh, we're talking about doing community resources. It kind of ties us back to the original question. Um, A a, a web-based community resource for... uh, Tabletop, LARP, uh, VTES, what have you. Um, unfortunately, that's all on marketing side. I, I don't know anything about that. I haven't heard anything about that. I'm not invited to those meetings. Um, that's their own kind of project, so I can't say anything about that. Uh, I, I do know that um, he's pretty excited about it because we've we, we talked about it before, and he's really passionate about it. Um, uh, in terms of organized play for tabletop games, uh, we did try that through the cam structure. It did not work at all, I think. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I don't think it was because people weren't passionate about it. Uh, I think it was just um, there are other ways that people can get that without needing the camera's resources. It's, it's, now, I, I, should, I should step back. This is my personal opinion. I have no idea what actually happened. So this is just me as Eddie speaking. I'm not speaking for the company. Um, but uh, the general impression I've gotten is that uh, some people generally uh, ask what can the cam and the company do that I can't do on my own? And that's really was a hard question to answer. It seems um, it, it fell apart for different reasons than that. But I think if we were to sit down and examine that, I think the first question we ask is, what can we bring to the table that's, that's different and unique? Um, so I, I, I don't think so. I think uh, the vibe I'm getting from the company is that we're probably more inclined to throw resources to letting players do that on their own, giving them the resources and benefits through. Uh, whatever, through a software or a website or whatever, um, to let people organize things better on their own. Because honestly, uh, one thing I have learned from working on, on both sides of the fence um, is that fans left their own devices will, will do amazing stuff in terms of organizing themselves and putting together huge projects. Um, and so I think there's quite a bit of idea for, from uh, some people to come along the line to let the fans do what they do best and let's try to get out of their way as much as we can. Yeah, yeah. Well, I also get the impression that the various World of Darkness Chronicles are are so different from each other. You know, one person wants to run their vampire game in one way, another person, a totally different way of looking at the game. That actually having a, some kind of organized play hanging it together is almost going to be counterproductive. You know. Oh, absolutely, and especially with uh, well, both versions suffer from this. Oh, I suffer. Both versions have this feature built in that we totally intended. Um, 
but the New World Darkness is very explicitly a toolbox, uh, something we've been saying pretty much from day one. And the mm-hmm. fact that we intentionally want you to take the cool bits and put them together in the way that you want to to make your own custom World of Darkness. Uh, the original World of Darkness had a lot of contradictory information that people could then pick and choose from and, and decide what was true for their games. And I really think, again, this is me personally speaking, I think having someone say, this is definitely how it goes, um, at your table is a little disingenuous. For the cam, it's very different because we're all, they're all playing the same game. It, it's, yeah. like, it's, it's not quite uh, a thousand different tables. It's one big table that everyone has a, a, much, a smaller seat at, um, whereas a tabletop or a play thing, we much more like a thousand different tables. Everyone has to play the same world of darkness. And I think some of the mystery get lost, whereas in the cam, you're all playing in the exact same game. It just happens to be in different parts of the world. So I think it, what works for the cam wouldn't necessarily translate to the tabletop. But again, that's my personal opinion. So, I mean, uh, uh, I haven't made a poll of the company or anything, but... Uh, no. Uh, that's just kind of it, when people start talking about it, it's like eh, I don't see what what would be I, I think there's other stuff can be done with that I think that time and energy can be done to let people decide what their world darkness is and to make that the coolest world darkness they can yeah cool well if that community uh, website thing that you were mentioning just now comes to fruition soon that would be fantastic because that's one of the things that got me extremely excited when I heard about that from the, from the convention mm-hmm. um, yeah, okay that, moving that also, on um, that also goes into the Camarilla you're going to be updating their website as well Along with the other websites, do you think, or uh, the Camry website, uh, as far as I know, is primarily run by volunteers at this point, oh. um, and uh, like especially the the Camry Wiki. Uh, we, uh, well, yeah, they're, they're all volunteers, but actually, a couple of people who aren't Camry members uh, who work on the Exalted Wiki were helping us out with the Cam Wiki as well. Um, but a lot of that has moved to volunteer updating. Um, whether that'll be separated back off or will host or whatnot, I I honestly can't say. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I know that things are going forward in terms of where, where the Camry's future is as a fan-driven organization as opposed to a company-driven organization. So at, at certain points, uh, those decisions will be made by people who have much higher pay scales than I do, and uh, stuff will happen. Cool. Um, okay, uh, next question from Phobos69. Have you ever played Exalted? And if you did, did you like it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I played it once. Um, I, I uh, played it once such a number of, before I worked for the company I, I played it and I, just, I did have a good time when I played it um, what it really comes down to is uh, Exalt is one of those games that takes a lot of investment and that's not yeah, a knock big. on it by any stretch of the imagination uh, I think it's fantastic that there are games out there people can really dig deep and play them and really get a lot of benefit out of digging into such a, a nuanced and textured game Um I unfortunately, uh, due to, this is going to sound like really stupid bitching, but um, <laughs> I have to play a lot of games in my job, and you know, uh, I have to do them for work. I have to actually play games and do them for research, um, so I don't have the time to always play a lot of uh, complicated, nuanced games on a regular basis. Uh, that being said... Um, uh, Joe Carricker has been running an Exalted game off and on for several years now. And uh, I have asked him if he ever gets to see this table. I wouldn't mind sitting in for a while and playing Exalted because it's something that I would like to play. And Joe, from everything I've heard, is a fantastic Exalted storyteller. Um, but uh, honestly, I-, I haven't had the chance to really devote the time to a regular game. And I certainly don't have uh, the time to uh, get the kind of world mastery would be necessary to try to run it myself. Right, right. Um, 
What are your feelings on the continued strength of the paranormal romance slash urban fantasy genre and White Wolf's place in it? Uh, <laughs> so, um, I watched Twilight this weekend. Oh, did you? I haven't seen it. <laughs> I feel sorry um, for you. Uh, luckily, we downloaded the Rift Tracks uh, commentary to go with it. Oh, and, nice. and that made it... I was able to survive through that. <laughs> I love those guys from Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> Yeah, and honestly, if, if if you have not had a chance to watch that with the Rift Trash, uh, I recommend it. It, it. it was it was fantastic. I, I died a couple times. Um, <laughs> What's even better, Eddie, is mm-hmm. download the one for any of the Star Trek movies. Really? Just download one, Star Trek two, three, whatever one they have. They have five. I think it was the last one. They, it was hilarious. They just make it fun of Shatner the whole entire movie. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yes, I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, uh, but uh, that being said. Um, uh, I'm, uh, some of the stuff's not to my taste. Uh, I'll be honest, um, mm. but uh, it is really awesome that vampires are so hot right now. Um, this is the first time it's happened because when uh, the company was really big in the, in the early to mid '90s, vampires were really big then too. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I remember the Anne Rice boom. Anne Rice and, thing, exactly. Yeah. And Bronx. Um, and was also around a time where uh, people were dressing up as vampires and murdering people and blaming us. So that's a whole. Separate part of that that I'm a little nervous about. Um, <laughs> yeah, good publicity. Yeah, I did have a uh, problem with that a little while ago. I remember you were talking to me about it, Eddie. I had a a nephew that was suspended from school because he was carrying around uh, the vampire books. Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah, he yeah. was. That one of the teachers was offended by it, saying it was that playing the White Wolf games was satanic and everything. Yeah, and it was actually uh, I was gonna. Uh, uh, I was going to talk to the company people. I was like, going, oh, we can, we can get a legal department, so we can talk to the PR. We totally do. <laughs> no, it's cool. Calm down. It's all right. Because yeah. uh, I was totally, you know, we, we will fucking send a press release on their ass. I don't care. <laughs> this is bullshit. And he jumped uh, all over it. It was like, whoa, okay, and he relax. <laughs> yeah, because I, 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 don't, I don't like when that happens. Um, it, it really bothers me when people are that misinformed 30 years later um, and, and are so willfully ignorant of it because it's so easy to get good information. But that's something here or there. Um, uh, in terms of the paranormal romance, urban fantasy stuff, I, I, I do like some elements of it. Uh, um, I do read some elements of it. I, I think it's really awesome, and I'm glad that's popular. Um, I also realize that, considering that uh, we're at the point where there are entire shelves of vampire books um, and entire sections of bookstores that are basically vampire books, which means the bubble's going to burst pretty soon. And right, for yes. Yes, um, yes, that's true. Um, but it is really awesome, is that when uh, and uh, one of the things that's been cool is when uh, the Lord of the Rings movies were popular. Um, lots of people talked about how uh, D&D got them into fantasy and into these movies. Um, and one thing I've been seeing a bit is people like talking about Twilight and the vampires, and people are going, oh yeah, I remember when I used to play a vampire back in the day, I should go and give it a look again. So, um, oh, cool. People are using that as kind of a nostalgic look back at um, vampires, and also sometimes when uh, people are working on uh, like vampire movies or vampire novels, uh, sometimes we'll get name checked in terms of you know we inspired them to work on vampire fiction. So that's always really really awesome. Right. Well, in some cases, obvious like the Blade movie. You know, the first one of those was was pretty blatant. There's, yeah. there's a fine line between uh, inspiration <laughs> and theft. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I, I can't legally comment on the Blade movies. So. <laughs> Speaking cool. of which, uh, Mr. Wesley Snipes is finally out of jail. So. <laughs> That's true. Now he's gonna hunt my ass down. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, he has one more um, question left. Yeah, Fubber said one more, one last question. He wanted to know: uh, w- Are there any more novels coming out based on the World of Darkness and other game lines? 
Um, our uh, fiction department's been pretty much on hold since uh, the three Requiem novels came out. Uh, and uh, my understanding is that really um, game fiction isn't selling nearly as well as it used to back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, uh, we're still interested in doing fiction. Um, I, I've, I mean, I've asked repeatedly, going, hey, we have f- fiction submission guidelines up there. Um, are we still interested in doing this? And I've been told repeatedly that, that yes. Um, so we are looking at new fiction opportunities. Um, uh, whether it's going to be a uh, paperback you buy from the bookstore, that I don't know. Because um, I know one of the side things that I've been pitching for is that if you're not going to do uh, paperbacks in the bookstore, can we do uh, ebooks? Can we look at stuff like for the Kindle? Can we look at stuff for uh, the iPad or the iBook store that's coming out? Yeah. And then can we do, you know, turn into a print on demand possible option? I mean, we, these are all ideas we've kicked around. And that, again, this is all speculation. No idea if it's come to fruition. But uh, a fiction still um, comes up every now and then. It's still something I think that we as a company are interested in doing. Um, I know there's been a couple of Eve, well, no, when Eve novel came out, I think the second one's either just about to come out or it has been out. Um, and also the like, EVE Online uh, fiction on the website that we've been doing for quite a while. So uh, fiction still a part of CCP's uh, modus operandi, as it were. Um, so I, 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 think, I, I think you'll probably see fiction at some point. Okay, cool. All right, cool. Let's uh, skip down to someone we haven't heard from in a while, Mr. Matt Buffington. Mm-hmm. And he has an interesting, actually a really cool kind of question. He was talking about using something he calls the cinematic storytelling system. Where mm-hmm. he basically takes a PlayStation 3 or his Xbox and uploads files through the USB connection for, like, you know, viewing or music or mood settings. He wants to know if you've ever done anything like that, Eddie, or maybe heard about someone doing that and observed it. Uh, actually, um, I-, I have observed it. Uh, uh, I briefly played in a mage game that uh, uh, Joe Carrick was running. Um, and he did exactly that. He uploaded. Uh, we all had all found pictures that looked most like our characters. Um we, uh, he would sometimes Photoshop them a little bit, uh, sometimes not that much, and he, he put them up there. Um, NPCs had pictures. Uh, he had music cues. Um, he would use uh, the movie software on his Mac to make a little kind of trailer of uh, the campaign or cool. chronicle. Um, so he's definitely explored that space uh, uh, far more than I have. Um, I, I've played with it a little bit. Um, I'm much more... Joe's the kind of storyteller who will sit down and plan and plot and write uh, pages and pages and pages of material before his games. Um, and so he can sit down and come up with... Uh, the you know I, ha- I know this MC's going to come up, but I know this music cue is going to be important. He can plan that. And I think it's fantastic. And I love being on the other side of that player experience. Um, but like I mentioned last time I was on your guys' show, uh, I show up with like five notes and go, let's see what happens. This will be awesome. Uh, so I, I have very little prep time when it comes to my particular sessions. I, I plan the backstory of it, and I have a very strong idea of where uh, the story will start. But actually getting to the table, I just kind of throw stuff out there and, and uh, follow the player's lead in terms of what they want to explore. And uh, so I, I, it's harder for me to do that kind of uh, in-depth preparation. But uh, it, it, seeing Joe run that through his PS3... Um, almost made me a convert to doing more uh, detailed preparation for my games because like, if this is what's possible with games with this kind of technology wow that that's just so amazing to me that's yeah i i mostly do how you do i just do plot points and run from mm-hmm. there i i can't i can't point anything out i mean my players go all over the place and every time i plan something they go the opposite way so 
<laughs> no plot survives contact with the players. Word. I, I, keep, I keep minimal prep notes, but I do have a large selection of music and images and stuff that I like to put up on the laptop or feed to the Xbox and what have you. Uh, so it's kind of a, kind of a mix, uh, I suppose. When you're not playing. Yeah, I, I did do that sometimes. Like um, when I was running my uh, Scion Chronicle, um, I, I uh, and, and it's, I was running the game, but I also did an experiment intentionally. Is uh, I tried to run the entire Chronicle through just my laptop, um, and actually it worked really well. But uh, one of the side benefits I found is that I could do a search for in the Scion books for a particular uh, monster fighting, um, and if there's a picture of the monster, I could just pull the PDF up, uh, zoom in on that monster, turn around, show a picture of the monster, and it's right there. I don't have to, you know, dig it up or try to cl- clip it out. I just gotta go, you know, turn to that zoom, done. Here you go. So yeah. uh, that kind of stuff's really cool. And, and I've tried music cues. Um, my problem is, is I, I get I spend more time playing with iTunes than actually do running the game. So. Um, <laughs> One thing I did do, however, is when I was running uh, my new wave Requiem games at Gen Con, is I loaded about four hours of 80s music onto my iPhone. And what I did is I just kind of queued up that playlist, uh, put my iPhone right behind my uh, Game Master screen, and you could hear just a little bit of the music, just enough that people could kind of recognize it as 80s music, music they're most likely familiar with, um, to get them into the mood for the game. Game, but uh, because I have it tied to a particular scene or scenario or setting, I just let it run on random, and everyone got the, the gist, everyone got the idea of what was going on. That added a lot to the game, but it, it fr- freed me up from having to go, okay, now it's the fight scene, so let's go up the fight scene music. Wait, is yeah. it fight scene four or fight scene five? I forgot. Uh, fuck it, I'll try fight scene six. You know, I, I, that's where I break down in terms of my use of uh, props for the game. Uh, 80s music, always fun. Oh, yeah. Good stuff, cool. Um, Ephraim wanted to know, uh, is there any updates on the print-on-demand system, which has been referenced once or twice? I know you made an announcement a little while ago about partnering with uh, DriveThruRPG about this. Is there any more news yes. on that? Um, uh, things have been going slow. Uh, I, I, we have a, uh, I have a bi-weekly meeting with uh, the guys from DriveThru. Uh, um, they actually come up, come up to our office, and we, stand, we have about an hour meeting. Uh, and just about every meeting I ask about, about print-on-demand. Um, it's been more challenging than they had anticipated. Um, uh, and it's primarily because we want to make sure the quality is right. Uh, so mm. we're being slow about this, not because we're reluctant. We're being slow because we want to make sure everything's done well. And we have... Uh, just on our suite alone, we have books produced over the course of almost 20 years in a variety of formats, scanned in a variety of formats. Uh, some of them were done in paste up, where people actually, you know, pasted things onto a page before they sent it off to the printer, all the way up to, you know, the latest InDesign software. So yeah. we have just a widespread of our books, and then of course they have to adapt to, you know, hundreds of other publishers, and they all have their own unique way of doing books. So it's been a huge challenge for them. Um, but that being said, uh, Sean uh, Fannin from DriveThru did stop at my office last week and dropped off a POD for uh, the Laws of the Night revised book uh, for Mindset Theater, which was one of our test cases, and it's looking really good. Um, cool. So uh, I, I, we're definitely moving forward with it. Um, we want to make sure they're comfortable with everything before we get things sorted, but I think we're reaching a tipping point pretty soon. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on how that goes then. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, our last set of questions then I guess will come from uh, Bohika who has uh, my favorite username ever I think uh, Vince you want to grab those? no <laughs> oh go on I noticed on his uh, on your live journal he's asking that uh, by looking at the player character sheets he gets a sense of what players want and expects out of a game he's curious 
if Eddie has any particular skills or play styles he likes to use, like sneaking, sneaky con man type or brawling thug type or, you know, Mark Hope type, you know, those types. Mark you know, it's, <laughs> this, this, is, this is the part where I really want to say, you know, I, I try to play a variety of characters and not pay myself to any stereotype. Um, and most times I'm pretty good at that. Uh, but um, especially when playing a new game or a game with people I'm not familiar with, I tend to devolve to the uh, word of the mouth. Um, and usually it's, it's the uh, somewhat political warrior. Um, it could be the, the paladin. Uh, it could be uh, the, the bruja, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the very uh, firebrand bruja. I tend to play uh, uh, physical characters uh, that can... Uh, talks, so basically uh, physical, primary, social, secondary, um, tends to be kind of my default days because, as you guys may have or may not have heard, I like to talk. And no. uh, I know it's shocking, isn't it? I, I <laughs> need to be surprised by that. Um, but uh, also, uh, um, I have found that uh, for many games, uh, the best way to get uh, kind of step back, the LJ post you're talking about, I mentioned that uh, the character sheet, to my mind, is a vote by the player of what they want to see in the game. Um, and so obviously from our old school systems with random characterization, it's not uh, as accurate. And actually, I have some thoughts on that I'm going to post at some point in the future. Um, but uh, for point-by systems like uh, Storyteller, um, if you say, uh, I want to play a physical primary character, that means you as a player want to see combat in the game. Um, yeah. And... So from my perspective, usually the best way to get a sense of how a game plays and how a system works is to beat stuff up. Because usually the combat system is the most uh, robust and detailed aspect of uh, uh, any role-playing game system. And the best way to learn that system and the best way to get an understanding of how the system's logic works is to beat stuff up. So that's why I usually tend to slant towards playing warriors for, for games that... I may not be comfortable with uh, games I've played a lot. I tried new different things. Like, for example, um, I'm in a couple different D and D four E games now, and I started off Ooh. playing a fighter, of course, at first. Um, but now I'm playing a cleric in one game, and I'm playing a rogue in the other because I want to try the different play styles and see how uh, they change the game experience for me. So I, I do actually try to change my game up, uh, not necessarily be out of some pretentious ideal that I must be different at all times, but really more on lines of. Now that I'm familiar with this game and I got how it works, how does the play experience change if I try it, approach it a different way? Cool. Um, but if I'm going to a convention or I'm sitting down with a bunch of people just for one night, I'm yeah, uh, give me the fighter. It's usually my default answer. Hmm. Okay. And he wants to know for his last question, what is, um, most memorable moment in gaming history for you? Go for it. Oh, wow. Just one? Just one. Oh, Jesus. Um... The the most memorable one for me is uh, um, I was playing in uh, a live action game. I had just joined the cam uh, probably about a year or so previous, and uh, I was living in uh, Ohio at the time, Akron, Ohio. And a friend of mine said, "Hey, we want to drive down to Cincinnati, Ohio, and play the game down there." I'm like, oh, "That's cool. I've never really traveled outside my area. Play with some people would be awesome." Um, and I was playing my Torador at the time, and so uh, of course I brought a bunch of roses because I'm playing a Torador. <laughs> and uh, I drive down and uh, I get down there and there's this brand new player, uh, beautiful redhead woman, uh, just start playing, and uh, she's clearly kind of knew some people there but wasn't quite sure what was going on, um, and so I walked up to her in character, I gave her a rose and did the whole you know a beautiful rose for a beautiful woman and blah blah blah, um, and uh, she's like uh, thanks cool in she character whatever. Um, <laughs> 
And uh, so, uh, so we started talking character, and then after the game, we started talking about Sabat. Um, and then we kept talking after that, and uh, then we started dating, and then a couple years after that, I asked her to marry me, and we've been married ever since. Wow, oh, cool. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, I picked fantastic. up my wife from a vampire LARP. How nerdy is that shit? <laughs> 100% nerd faction. That's and my wife is now cool. running one of the D&D 4E games that I was telling you about earlier. So, there you go. Great. Okay, cool. Uh, we thank everybody for their questions, and uh, any questions that weren't answered, Eddie will pop over to the forums, and I'll reopen that thread for you, Eddie, so you can uh, so you can ask answer those questions and uh, cool. let everybody know what's going on, and maybe some people will answer more questions, and uh, if you know if you happen to pop in, you can answer them. And thank you. Cool. Uh, yeah, do it again. I cool. Thanks, I appreciate that. That's that's cool. I have two random questions for you. <laughs> I love putting people on the spot. So, my first well, question. You think last question. You're really lying to me. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, this is more to do with um, one of your publishing companies, not yours personally, but <laughs> White Wolves. <laughs> um, Sword and Sorcery, dead or is that is no longer there? Or what's going on with that? Um, yeah, Sword and Sorcery. Uh, basically, um, uh, we're no longer interested in exploring options with uh, uh, the D20 system, uh, any iteration of it. Um, uh, my understanding, and I understand that I, 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 this is just what I've heard around the office, um, is that some of our properties have gone to Fiery Dragon, I want to say. Mm. Okay, um, I know some of, our, yeah, some of our guys that worked with us in Sword and Sorcery are now working for Fiery Dragon. I'm not 100% certain about And for all I know, I may be saying shit I shouldn't be saying, but that was my understanding. Um, is that uh, Sword and Sorcery has? Uh, um, we're looking at options to to parse that out, or uh, so for keeping in house. I, I don't know; it's a legal thing. I don't. I don't really talk to legal people. Um, uh, on, uh, but related to that, um, Pendragon. Actually, this is exciting. Um, uh, is uh, Stuart, Stuart Stuart Wick? Um, the sad thing is, Stuart Wick decided that uh, he wanted to uh, go a separate way from CCP. But it was all amenable. Uh, everything was cool. Uh, uh, he just wanted to try something new, and that was awesome. But one of the first things he did is um, he decided to open up a, a new uh, gaming company called Nocturnal, and he's now going to start giving uh, Pendragon the attention and love it really, it really deserves. Ooh. Oh, great. So uh, he's going to start working with uh, um, Pendragon, and uh, he's got all the PDFs that have moved over uh, to uh, Nocturnal Drive Through RPG. Um, so uh, if you guys were I- I- before interested in Pendragon, um, definitely uh, I- I'd say go check it out now. Um, helps do as he gets uh, his feet going on this new company. That'd be awesome. That's a great game, Pendragon. Had some great games that year. Is he working with Greg, Sta- Greg Stafford, or is this all his own? Thing? I believe so. Yeah, I believe that he and Greg are working together on this. Cool, excellent. It's a cool game. Uh, okay, so our final final question of the night. <laughs> Yes, I know. I'd like to lie. If you could be a porn star, what would your porn star name be and why? <laughs> Damn it. I, unfortunately, I was reading a blog about this today. I actually had an answer for it, and I've forgotten the name. I there's a guy. Uh, there's a, I, I'm not even joking about this. I'm dead serious. Google D&D with porn stars. Okay. There's oh, that's a, guy, a great blog. Yeah. He, he's a porn star running a D&D game for five other porn stars, and he's doing a blog about it. And I want to be that guy. If I want to be a porn star, I would totally be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's your answer. That's my answer. That totally that guy. Okay, that's a good yeah. name. That guy. It's <laughs> a cool blog. Okay, well, I guess that's going to wrap things up this week. And um, Eddie, you want to plug any of your projects that you're working on? 
let's see. Company-wise, definitely um, keep an eye at uh, drivethroughrpg.com. Um, uh, we're getting out stuff on a uh, regular basis. We're, you know, we're not dead. We're not dying. We're still putting stuff out. So definitely check out uh, drivethroughrpg.com, um, especially for like the Combat Conspiracy stuff. Uh, and it's coming out very, very soon will be our Requiem for Rome SAS. So those of you guys who like the Requiem for Rome stuff, you get a little more love coming in pipe from that. On a personal level, um, uh, I uh, got accepted into a fiction anthology called Close Encounters of the Urban Kinds. Oh, yeah. uh, that will be printed in April. Cool. Congratulations. Good one. Thank yes. you. Um, I just heard a story in there about a uh, song that kills people. So uh, the, story, the story is called uh, uh, Gloomy, Gloomy Sunday. Wicked. And cool. uh, also, if you're interested in my serial fiction, um, I'm keen to do uh, the Whitechapel Project, which is my fiction, uh, interactive fiction blog slash podcast. Uh, it's completely unseparated from my White Wolf work, but it's about a uh, amnesiac serial killer uh, who wakes up with uh, just a bracelet with letters VI on it, and he has to figure out who he is and why he's there. Maybe his name is Vince? <laughs> <laughs> well... The, my fans have voted and said his name is Six, so uh, you have to argue with them because they decided what his name was. Well, oh, cool. That's fine a good idea. then. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and speaking of writing credits, I do have to announce that I did finally get a writing credit. Well, it should be published soon for Polymancer Studios, so I'm looking That's right, Polymancer, yeah, good one. So I have some tag on there, so when I write to Eddie and say, publish this, he can go, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> if oh, but I, you have a resume. Well, there you go. Then. As long as I don't screw up sending the forms in like everybody else. Please <laughs> <laughs> submission guidelines. Oh my god! I listened to that podcast and I was like, oh my god, Eddie is pissed. <laughs> it, it, it's not so much. Okay, I'm gonna go about this again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't so much that I was pissed. It was the fact that uh, there's so much stuff that I really want to use that I can't because people don't follow the guidelines. And legally speaking, we can't open ourselves up for liability. Yeah, yeah. Um, because if you send me something and there's no, there's no disclosure form with it, uh, that means uh, if, we put, if we had something in the pipe earlier um, and it comes out, you could say, well, I sent you that idea and now you owe me money. And we have to go through and prove that it was an internal idea, that we didn't look at your property and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so that means that if you have a really cool idea, even if uh, it's awesome, even and if we hadn't thought about it, we would love to use it. If you don't have a disclosure form, we can't use it. In fact, uh, some companies, after, after I did that, um, some people sent me some links and posts and stuff. Um, there's actually a number of uh, role-playing companies and fiction companies who just flat refuse to accept uh, that submissions at all yeah. because of that exact same legal liability. Yeah. And so uh, I, I, I get mad, not because people screwed up, but because it's like, this would be so cool. But I can't use it because you people get all the fucking instructions. Um, read the manual. So it, 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 it's frustration because I think that, the, that there's a lot of potentially good writers and a lot of potentially good ideas out there. And so if people just took a few extra minutes to read the submission guidelines and follow through with them, it makes everyone's life so much easier. And I'm done. I swear I'm not talking about this ever again. It's over. <laughs> it's until, <laughs> until your next podcast. <laughs> Shut up. It's done. I'm not talking about this ever again. <laughs> this never happens. Well, great. You can uh, you can visit us at our forums at wildgamesproductions.com or you can go to darkerdays.tk. Click on the link on the bottom right there that says forums. Join that. Join us on Facebook. Just look for Darker Days Radio. We do, we're getting closer to the 100 mark, so we can uh, get our own Ooh. URL there. And uh, Mark, uh, what's our email address? Darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. I don't know. It's kind of losing that uh, chipper. Yeah, it's late. <laughs> it's 
if you ever Eddie, if you have a chance, you should go back to listen to episode one. Mm-hmm. It's like you can see the difference between the podcast then and now. And Mark was all, "Hi, I'm Mark Hope, and this is the show, and we should be doing this." Mark was very, <laughs> very, very, very standoffish. It is very. Now he's all happy and Marky. Marky. <laughs> <laughs> There's no other way to Marky, ex- become an adjective. Yeah, there's no other way to explain it than just say Marky. Mark esque. Mark esque. Markish. Yes, well, I did spend most of the evening in an Italian restaurant tonight, so, you know. Yes, well I'm feeling, f- feeling somewhat lubricated, so it's, it's quite pleasant. <laughs> well, on that note, that's going to end <laughs> the show. <laughs> that's going into your bumper, I swear to God. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. This has been the Darker Days podcast, episode number 17. The unofficial, official White Wolf podcast. Have a good night, folks. Later.